Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 5 and carry through verse 10 this morning. We're kind of splitting uh, maybe what you would think of one section into three parts. There's a lot here. So Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Father, open our eyes to this amazing reality that we are light. Let it have its proper effect on us, Father. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the point of this sermon is this. Since you are light, discern. Since you are light, discern and walk as children of light. I want to kind of jump right in the middle of our text just by way of introduction. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say, at one time you used to walk in darkness, and now you need to walk in the light. These are statements of identity, of being. At one time you were darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. In the world, there are only two types of people. Throughout the Bible, they're called by all sorts of different names. If you want a a theological name, you could say there's the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And you can see it from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats that'll be separated uh, before him on judgment day. But our text says there's those who were darkness and there's those who are light. This is most vividly described in Proverbs chapter four, one of my favorite Proverbs in verse 18, where he says this, the path of the righteous 
is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So get the picture. In those days, they didn't have street lamps. Uh, often you're walking on not a good road. There's, there's rocks and thistles and bushes. And, and the illustration here is the path of the righteous is one like the light of dawn, which if you were walking all night, you would be stumbling through the night. But as the sun starts to come up, you're able to see better and better to the point where your path would be lit and now you would know where to place your feet. What an incredible gift that the righteous have. But the world, it's not that way. In verse 19 of Proverbs 4, uh, he says this, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is our world. These are your neighbors. What they know is life's hard. What they know is they're stumbling. Because they're walking in deep darkness. But they don't know what they're stumbling over. So they try endless and endless roads looking for some way not to stumble, to some way have satisfaction in their soul, and they can't find it. And they don't see it. Yeah, verse 19 describes the world. The wicked is like deep dark. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. So there's those who know, and there's those who don't know. There's those who are light. They have understanding. They're able to look at this world and actually know its beginning, know its end, know its purpose, know what causes people to stumble, and there's those who just don't know. There's only two types of people. Back in Ephesians 4, when Paul began to tell them to walk in their new life, Right? This is the whole section we're in right now. In light of the fact they're new in Christ, Jew and Gentile reconciled, there's a new people. The question then is, how ought you live? How ought you walk? And back in Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, Paul says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. Every action they do, it's futile. It's not going to last. Whatever end they're shooting for will not last. Don't walk in the futility of the minds of the Gentiles. 
They are darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not the way. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in him, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we've already taken a lot of time to think about the darkened mind of the unbeliever. The one who hasn't been taught in Christ, who's never experienced the new birth. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time and sought to minister to people, it is one of the saddest things to see when you can have two people sitting in front of you. One of them, their brain works but spiritually, it doesn't connect. And you can't make it connect. It's one of the most frustrating parts of ministry, but it's the part that reminds us that a big part of our ministry needs to be prayer because we can't change hearts. We can't enlighten a mind. We can be instruments of the Word of God. It's won't be enlightened apart from the gospel. But the difference between one person who the word of God hits and has its effect and another who maybe understands intellectually maybe many things but is darkened. In 1 Corinthians 1, in chapter 2, here's how Paul describes this. He says, Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. To be able to understand things freely given to us by God comes from the Holy Spirit. He writes in verse 13, for we impart words not taught by human wisdom, but by taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And verse 14 gives us it straight. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? I think of Isaiah 40 here. Who can instruct him? Who's understood the mind of the Lord? Who's going to teach him? Well, now in the new covenant, those with the Spirit of God living inside them, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. 
we have spiritual understanding. We have light in our minds. Those who have experienced the new birth, those who've been brought from death to life. What we read in Ephesians chapter 2, we were sons of disobedience, right? We were by nature children of wrath, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in our sins, he caused us to be born again. He's caused us to live. So that when the Jesus talked to the Pharisees, and these are religious people, if you're ever going to point to people that said, there's the light, that's where understanding is, the people in Christ's day would have brought whoever was looking for understanding to the Pharisees. And yet in Matthew 23, in verse 16, here's how he addresses them. He says, woe to you, blind guides. In verse 17, he says, you blind fools. In verse 19, he says, you blind men. In verse 24, he says, you blind guides. In verse 26, he doesn't beat up around the bush. He says, you blind Pharisee. What was their problem? Their problem was they thought they had understanding, but they didn't have understanding. And the proof of it was there was no evidence in the heart that there was light on the inside. And so, by way of introduction, it's just helpful to know where Paul's going. The reason why he's calling us to live the way we ought to live is not so that we, we can become something that we're not. It's to realize who we are and live in conjunction to that reality. Essentially, every sermon, the last five seems to be live like who you are. Walk like who you are. As beloved children, walk in love. Beloved children, that's who you are. That's what we've experienced from God. So let's just look at verse 1 of Ephesians 5. The, the verses we went over last week, and you'll see the progression here. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, not to become beloved children as beloved children. Imitate God. <laughs> Why? Is it a work salvation? I got to be good enough to get in? It's not what it says. It says, imitate God. Be mimics of God. As beloved children, you were loved by Christ. It was Christ's work, not your work. That's why you ought to be imitators of God. Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Why ought I walk in love? Because love defines my life. That's how I became alive in this new spiritual life. 
And then he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, Ephesus is the epicenter of paganism. The goddess, uh, um, oh, what's, she goes by two names, Diana and, is it Artemis? Yeah, the goddess of Artemis is right, it's the central draw to the city of Ephesus. And there's a law that criminals basically have asylum within a half mile of, of this temple. This was one of the wonders of the world at one point, as is, is, is far as uh, structures. So paganism is the culture. And you have people that have just experienced the new birth. And with this new birth, there's an enlightening of the mind. But the person that is now alive is meant to use the understanding they've been given. And so Paul is reasoning with them how to live their new lives. It wasn't like automatic where the new birth happens and now all my thinking changes, all my uh, actions change, all my desires change in a moment, but it's in the new life. I'm to think with my new mind. I'm to act with my new will. That's why in the New Testament, we're called to live in, in certain ways. And so we saw this juxtaposition between self-sacrificial love in the first two verses, agape love, Christ gave himself up, and he says, therefore, don't walk in lust, the opposite of love. Lust is all about selfishness. It's not self-sacrificial love. It's selfish. The only one whose good is being sought in lust is the individual. So he says that's not proper. Shouldn't even be named among the saints. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Why does he say that? You remember? Because of your beloved children and you're full in Christ, that means the disposition of your heart ought to always be thankfulness no matter what. That's why in Philippians, when Paul calls us to pray, he says, with thanksgiving. Because we're tempted to even pray sinfully. Pray as though God's bad. Pray as though God's ripping us off. And when we do that, we've forgotten that we're beloved children. That our inheritance can't be taken from us. Yes, they can kill the, the body. But they can't kill the soul. They can't steal your inheritance any circumstance we get, it's not as bad as it should have been. God has been gracious to us. And so the only person that will fall into the sinful loss and idolatry, it is the heart that believes God's left them empty. And so they got to go beyond 
the commands of God to go get happiness elsewhere. See, it comes from a heart that feels needy, that feels like I'm being left out, God's ripping me off, therefore I'm going to go fulfill the lusts of my flesh. That's how it works. So that was last week. And then he says, and point one in your notes is this, discern the end Discern the destruction of the sons of disobedience. So with this light comes discernment. And with discernment, one of the things God wants you to know is he wants you to see rightly where the ungodly are headed. Where those who are darkened in their understanding, what is their end? And we see in verse 5, we may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. None. No inheritance. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm still struggling with sexual immorality. Well, the key word there would be struggling. Because there's those who are given over. There's those that have their hearts set on it so that it could be defined as their identity. That's who they are. They are covetous. They don't believe God has supplied what they need in Christ. So they're done with Christ. They're looking elsewhere. Anyone who's done that has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Here's the way John Stott says we must interpret verse 5. He says, we must be cautious, however, in our application of this severe statement. It should not be understood as teaching that even a single immoral thought, word, or deed is enough to disqualify us from heaven. Otherwise, which of us would qualify for admission no for those who fall into such sins through weakness but afterwards repent in shame and humility there is forgiveness those who fall into sin through weakness then there's shame and humility and uh, looking to Christ there's forgiveness for that person But then he says this, the immoral or impure person envisioned here is one who has given himself up without shame or penitence to this way of life. One who is covetous in every sense, are in the sense already defined, namely sexually greedy. That is, Paul adds in parentheses, an idolater. Such people whose lust has become an idolatrous obsession will have no share in the perfect kingdom of God. So there really are people whose hearts are unconverted. And so the walk and practice of their life is sign me up for this. This is what I am after. There's no shame. There's no repentance. There's no turning to Christ. 
There's no inheritance for that person. Paul is the same one that penned, what I want to do, I don't do. But the key there is what he wants to do. And a non-believer does not want to follow God's commands, does not want to obey Christ. Every person in this room should ask the question, do I want to? Do I want to? And if you can't honestly answer that question with a yes, and that causes fear to come upon you, then repent and turn to Christ. Ask God to save you, to give you light. We got to remember passages like 1 John 1.6, which he's using light and darkness as well. But he says this. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, with Christ, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I have fellowship with Christ, but I don't have his mind. I don't have his light. That person would be a liar. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, listen to what he says. We have fellowship with one another. If you walk in the light, you are sons of light, which means you have brothers and sisters and you have fellowship. The very thing that would bring about conflict and, and broken relationships can be reconciled. Jew and Gentile can be reconciled in the light. But listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we were to interpret Paul's text as anyone who ever does something sexually immoral, even once, this verse says it. Yeah, well, John says anyone who says he has no sin, the truth isn't in him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says in chapter 2, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's true. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So here's what John is saying. If you say you're sinless, you're a liar. That's not true. I'm writing this so that you don't sin, but when you do sin, if you confess those sins, he's faithful and just. Christ is the propitiation for those sins, but the way you can tell a person that's been converted and a person who's not converted is one person is concerned with the commands of God and loves them. And the other person isn't. Now I know that takes 
You, you have to do theology to hold these texts in the proper sense. And then he says, in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. All right. I think one of the issues in, in Paul's day was beginning this idea, uh, kind of Gnostic thought, this idea that it doesn't matter what you do in your body, with your body, that's just giving your body its desires, that's fine, but it doesn't affect your spiritual life, and it isn't going to affect your life on Judgment Day. Only what matters is spiritual. So any fleshly desires, just go ahead and do them. That would have been uh, something of a lie that would be going around. Uh, and so he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So with this knowledge that they have, they're supposed to look at the ungodly and discern their end. That the wrath of God will come. We could spend a sermon talking about the wrath of God and it would be terrifying and it would be fruitful. One of the things God wants us to know as believers is what you're not getting. It's called mercy because of the grace of Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 73. I just want to read it really quick. It is so important that we discern the end of those who are in darkness. Psalm 73. Christian, you've been here. I know you've been here. This is a fight. This Asaph, who wrote this, he, he almost stumbled so that he fell because he was thinking wrong. He wasn't discerning rightly about those who are ungodly. Here's what he says. Verse 1 of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their pride, uh, therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through the fatness. Through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? There is no knowledge in the, mo in the Most High. Behold, the wicked are always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So last week we talked about how the victim mentality is so destructive. 
especially for the believer that has been full in Christ. So as he looks at the ungodly and he, and he sees that they seem to be getting away with everything and God doesn't seem to be taking notice, he says this in his heart, all in vain I've kept my heart clean. <laughs> Poor guy. And washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. All right. This can be me often. I start throwing a pity party for myself, right? This is where Asaph was. And then he says this, though, in verse 15. If I had said I'll speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would be forgetting God's works in his people. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, and that's the key word, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. What an important thing. What would his life have been like if he never would have went into the sanctuary of God, never got proper perspective? What a miserable person he would have been. He says, truly, you've set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Imagine ice so slippery that you couldn't get your bearings at all. So that just as soon as you get your balance, you're ready to fall again. That's where they're set. That's truth. That's reality. That's where they're at. Now look at this nightmare. Verse 19. They are destroyed in a moment. Swept away Utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, when I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. That's what he was like when he was throwing his pity party. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. And I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So Paul wants them to walk in love. He wants them to live out of their new life in Christ. He doesn't want them to walk in sexual immorality. The first reason he gives them is, he says, because you're loved. Walk in love. And now he says, Look at them. Look at those who you feel like you're jealous of. Those who are getting that sexual immorality. Those who are get, 
getting the things that maybe your flesh covets. Get perspective. They're in slippery places. In a moment, they can fall. One of the things God uses to help us continue to fight the fight of faith and live holy lives is to have proper perspective when we look at a pagan culture around us that is offering your flesh so many things. Paul wants us to know that wrath is coming upon them. And look at what he says, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Their name describes what they're like. They don't love the commands of God. In fact, you could just call them sons of disobedience. What they love, what marks their life, <coughs> is just rebellion. In Matthew 7, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he describes those people that will uh, share the works they've done on earth. Here's, here's, here's his final charge to them. Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Who do you work for? Lawlessness. That defines my life. That's what I do. I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel at heart. I cut my own path. But I was in church and I was, yeah, I cast out demons. I did many wonderful things in the name of Christ. But if you look in here, rebellion to the point where Jesus is saying, well, you might have showed up at church, but I don't know who you are. You didn't have lives marked by obedience because you loved me. And you thought my obedience would actually live, lead to life? See, the enlightened mind really believes that all of God's commands are for your good, not to hold you back from something good. It used to bother me, John 3.36. I was like, man, I wish John would have said this a little different, which is crazy because it's God's word. But here's what he says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And then he says, whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And I want the text to say this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. But he doesn't say that whoever does not believe, he says, whoever does not obey the Son does not have life. So here's the question. Do you know, do you know of any sin that you know the Lord says that's wrong? What do you want to do? You want to stuff it? You want to hide it? You want to push it away? Or do you want to be light? See, light exposes. Life steps out. There's not a whole hidden part hidden over here. Do you want to obey the Son? Those who don't obey the Son, the wrath of God remains 
on them. It's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about a heart disposition that wants to live for Christ. Remember the commercial with the easy button? Well, there is no easy button in Christianity, but the born-again heart, if there was a red button over there where if you pushed it, you could never be selfish again. You always were going to live perfectly for Christ. The born-again heart is going to run over there and tap that button because they don't want to sin. They don't want to hide it. Hide it. They want to obey. They pray for Christ to return because they can't wait for the day when they can be rid of this body of death. See, that's, that's a very important question all of us ought to ask ourselves. In 1 John 5, 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. All right. I remember in my Greek class, this was the first verse that I was so excited to see how studying Greek could help me. Because if you have the ESV, here's what your text says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And anyone who has the NIV says this. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. ESV says has been. So anyone who's believing in Christ has already been born again, which means the new birth would bring about the faith. Faith is a, would be a gift from God. And sometimes the ESV will be, will be charged with being, you know, that's, that's the Reformed translation. And then you look at the NIV and it's like, well, maybe it is. Because it makes it seem like whoever believes in Christ will then be born of God. But guess what? They're both right. It's the weakness of the English language. Because born again, gegenao, is in the perfect tense, which means it started in the past and has present implications where you throw the ESV and the NIV together, and that's what you have. <laughs> Anyone who believes in Christ has been and is still now born again in Christ. All right? And then verse 2 says this, By this we know that we love the children of God. See, he's already said that if you don't love the children of God, you're not saved. And he says, by this you know, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So once again, how do you relate to the commandments of Christ? These are burden that are these shackles. Yeah, I got to die to myself. And yeah, I know I'm going to live over there, but I got to die. No, what does Jesus say? Those who lose their life will find it. The guy who finds the treasure in the field in, with joy sells everything he has to buy the field because he's going to get the treasure. So, know that the sons 
of disobedience. Don't walk like them because the wrath of God is coming upon them. There is no inheritance for them. And then he says, which I guess is going to be next week's sermon, therefore do not become partners with them. Why would you partner? The word partner means to share in possession of something. We're not to share in their thinking. We're not to share in the input of what they put, of the content they put into their minds. We're not to share in their same desires. Because we don't share in their nature. They don't have light. This doesn't mean that you're never around a non-believer. But it does mean you can't marry your life to one. You can't connect and say, I'm, they're putting input in. I'm going to join them and input the same thing. Oh, they're fulfilling these desires. I'm going to step right in, fulfill those desires with them. And Paul's reasoning is it's not who you are. You were darkness, but now you are light. That's what we'll dive into next week. 